Now may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, today is the feast of the presentation of Christ in the temple, also known as the feast of the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, also known as Candlemas. Yes, we have three names for today's feast, each of which has um, points out one of some sort of emphasis from our gospel reading today uh, that, that we just read from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. You can find that gospel passage on page, um, I think I said last, yeah, page 232 in your prayer book. So um, you might want to keep a finger there or in your Bibles at Luke 2, 22 and following. So the third of these names, Candlemas, refers to a medieval tradition of blessing and processing the candles on the feast day. Um, And you do find that in some parishes, they continue to do that uh, today. Last year, we did bless the the, uh, candles for our church plant over on the northwest side for St. Benedict's Church. Father Barry brought, brought brought those candles up and we did bless them. And the tradition likely got its, its start based on a line from our today's gospel, from the Nook Dimittis, where the prophet Simeon refers to our Lord as a light to lighten the Gentiles. So while most of us take our Christmas decorations down around Epiphany time, there are a lot of other Christians who wait until Candlemas to take their, uh, their decorations down, and they consider, consider today's feast the true end to the Christmas season. Now, of course, in some parts of San Antonio, you just never take your Christmas decorations down, but that's, a, but that's, that's our local custom here, I guess. <laughs> We have one house in our neighborhood that's like that. It's the blue house, and they will never take it down, it looks like. Now, for the second name for today's feast, we're kind of working backwards through the names that I gave at the beginning there. The second name for today's feast is the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So the purification is one of two Marian feasts that the American Book of Common Prayer retained from medieval times, and the other one being the Annunciation on March 25th. And that's why Father Marcus has a uh, special blue and ivory chasuble today, that kind of Marian colors, traditionally speaking. Um, it is, it's it's our, our chasuble that we use on just these two days, the Purification and the Annunciation. The name purification refers to the beginning of our passage from Luke 2.22, and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, etc., etc. Back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 12, we find the law's description of the rituals that surround the birth of children for the Old Testament. Old Testament ceremonial law includes sacrifices and systems for ritual purity and impurity, for ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness. And something we need to remember is that while ritual impurity is supposed to remind us of our sin, it does not necessarily equate to sin. So to be ceremonially unclean in the Old Testament is not necessarily to have committed a sin though many aspects of ritual impurity do remind us of the consequences of the fall. Leviticus 12 is an example of this sort of thing. So in the chapter, we're told that when a male child is born, the mother goes through two stages of ritual purification. 
First, she's ritually impure for seven days, after which the boy is circumcised, as God commanded Abraham all the way back in Genesis. So circumcision is that Old Testament sign of the covenant, the sign of the Israelites being set apart as God's people. The day of circumcision then begins a period in which the mother is ritually impure for another 33 days, which brings it to a total of 40 days, after which she is to bring offerings to the temple to complete that ritual purification. These offerings are described in Leviticus 12 as a sin offering and an atonement offering, normally consisting of bringing a lamb for each one of those offerings. But for poor people, pigeons or turtle doves could be substituted. So this tells us a few things about what is going on here in Luke chapter 2. First of all, we see why candle mass is celebrated on February 2nd. It's not because we're, if we don't have enough incense, the thurifer doesn't see a shadow and there's more winter. It's not like that. But the reason is because the, uh, the, this is 40 days after Christmas. 40 days after Christmas is February, uh, February 2nd. Secondly, it tells us that the Holy Family was poor at this point because Mary brought that offering of pigeons and turtle doves, which means that the Magi's visit was sometime after their return from this trip to Jerusalem. Otherwise, they would have had money for the lamb with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh gifts and all that sort of thing. Third, we see that this offering and ritual impurity is based on the curse of the fall when childbirth becomes painful, bloody, and dangerous. That is, even though childbirth is certainly not sinful, rather, childbirth is one of the most beautiful blessings of God's creation, nevertheless, its beauty has been marred by sin and death. If you look in church records from generations past, you often see men who have had several wives over the course of their lives, not because divorce was common back then, it was not, but rather because so many of their wives died in childbirth. The, li the average life expect expectancy back in the day was so low in part because many women died young in childbirth and many children died at birth or soon after. If you survived those things, the lifetime was actually not too different from ours today. And in fact, if this was 50 years ago, neither Heather nor Leah would have survived Heather's preeclampsia. My second daughter, Tori, never would have been born. And you'd have a totally all-alone priest. <laughs> Despite this connection, though, between the dangers of childbirth and Old Testament ritual impurity, remember that we do not have that category of ritual impurity in the New Testament. In Christ, categories of ritual purity and impurity simply do not exist. That's why if you look at our Churching of Women service on pages 305 through 307 in the prayer book, even though it's rooted in the events that we celebrate today at Candlemas, it is not a purification rite. Rather, it is a thanksgiving ceremony. And that's kind of the official name of, the, of it in our prayer book anyway, the thanksgiving of women after childbirth. And in some Christian countries, women would bring a candle in that churching service as a reminder of the, that when the first candle mess happened, Christ changed everything. So even though the Blessed Virgin Mary was too poor to offer up lambs, for her sin offering and her atonement offering in today's gospel, 
She had brought the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, into the temple, and he would become the ultimate sin offering when he became the atonement for us on the cross. As St. John said in our Lord's baptism, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And then finally we have our third, or rather our first emphasis, that primary emphasis of the feast as far as our prayer book is concerned, which is the presentation of Christ in the temple. So this refers to another Old Testament passage from Exodus chapter 13, right around verses 11 through 13, in which the firstborn males are set aside as belonging to God as a result of all the events that happened during the first Passover. If you remember the Exodus story, the final plague on that first Passover was the death of the firstborn sons of both men and animals in Egypt. But God had told the Israelites that he would spare their firstborns and pass over them if they would slaughter a lamb without blemish and paint its blood on the doorposts of their houses. So with that sacrifice, God had purchased all the firstborn of both men and beasts among the Israelites. The firstborn males then a ceremonially clean animal, so that's the kind of animals that could be sacrificed, such as sheep or oxen, were sacrificed in the temple. The firstborn males of people and ceremonially unclean animals, such as donkeys, were then to be redeemed by the sacrifice of a lamb. The firstborn males belonged to God and were to be a constant reminder of God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. So again, we have this ceremony pointing us to our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as God rescued his people by the blood of the lamb, so would the blood of God's lamb rescue us from our sins. And just as God's people were to present their firstborn sons to God, so would God present his only begotten son for the sake of his people. Our for the epistle passage from Malachi chapter 3 hints at another aspect of the presentation, an aspect that speaks to our Lord's divinity and our Lord's mission. So you can see this in your Bibles in Malachi 3 verses 1 through 5, or again on page 232 in your prayer book. We read, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. And I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So you may recall from the Old Testament that uh, from the time of the Exodus until the time of King Solomon, the Israelites worshiped God in what some translations call the tent of meeting or some call the tabernacle. This temporary worship space, this ba- it literally was a tent, a very large tent, but nevertheless a tent. But then Solomon builds God a permanent temple and it was known throughout the Old Testament as God's house. On the day of the temple's dedication, 
the presence of the Lord manifested as smoke that was so thick they had to stop the service. Kind of like when Father Barry used to be here with the, with the incense. <laughs> But due to the Israelites' constant sin of idolatry, God eventually sends the Babylonians to conquer the promised land, exile the people, and destroy the temple. At the time of the exile, the prophet Ezekiel sees the presence of God leave the temple. It's a very sad picture in the book of Ezekiel. The presence of God departs the temple just before the Babylonians show up. A few generations later, under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Jews do return to Israel and they, re, they do eventually rebuild the temple. But that second temple is a mere shadow of the first and the people weep when they see it. And then we fast forward to a bit before the birth of Jesus and King Herod, yes, that King Herod, renovates and funds this major remodeling project in the temple that does make it in some ways grander than Solomon's temple. It's at least a lot bigger than Solomon's temple. But nevertheless, we never see God's presence return to the temple until the first Candlemas. At that first Candlemas, God had indeed suddenly come into his temple, just as Malachi had promised, just as we sang in our opening hymn, though God came as a little baby. The strange and sad thing is that the priests and the Levites, the teachers and the leaders didn't recognize him. But Simeon and Anna did. Empowered by the Holy Ghost, these two elderly prophets knew Jesus and spoke of him, as our text says, to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Most every day, the, the, the tradition in the Western church has been to sing Simeon's song, the Nunc Dimittis, every night as part of our daily offerings of prayer to the Lord. Because you see, even though we do not offer animal sacrifices in the Lord's temple today, we do indeed still offer him a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And as St. Paul in the liturgy saith, we offer to God ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a living sacrifice as well. This concept is found both in our prayer offices of Matins and Evensong, which do have their roots in the twice daily sacrifices of the temple, as well as in our Holy Communion service, in which we participate in Christ's one true sacrifice offering and oblation for us. Because of Christ's offering of himself as the ultimate atonement on the cross, the offerings of God's people are now offerings of righteousness, as Malachi said. They are now pleasing to the Lord, even more so than during the glories of Solomon's temple. Because as our Lord said in John chapter 4, we are now able to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. The very priesthood itself would be purified. No longer would it be based on the bloodline of Aaron and Levi. And if you remember the Exodus story, it came about to be based on that because of the people's idolatry. But rather the priesthood would be based on the blood of Christ into which all Christians are baptized. It would be based on the blood of our high priest, Jesus himself. Malachi said that both the Lord and his messenger would come. And the syntax of that text does suggest that they would be the same person. At Candlemas, we find out that they are indeed the same person 
Because when God the Son comes suddenly into the temple, he brings with him the message of the kingdom of God. The Son is the perfect messenger of the Father. Now, part of that message, as we read in in Malachi, is acting as a refiner's fire or as a fuller's soap, both of which purify and cleanse, but they often do so in harsh ways. So the refiner's fire uses intense heat to separate the impurities out of the precious metals as part of that melting process. You don't get good gold and silver without a lot of heat burning off those impurities. And then the fuller, the fuller uses a harsh lye soap, the kind of soap that burns the skin, to purify the raw wool of the sheep before it could be used to make clothing. You can't just just shear a sheep and then start making clothing. You have to purify it first. Well, in the same way, our sanctification, that process of growing in the Lord, can be harsh, difficult, or even a painful process. We're called to die to ourselves as we live for Christ, and our flesh does not like to die to itself. As one of my old pastors used to say, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it likes to crawl off the altar. (laughs) And our very conversion itself is a dying to that old self in order to be raised with Christ. Every baptism is a picture of burial and resurrection. But as difficult as purification can be, it's much less difficult than judgment. The last few verses of our our Malachi passage speak to that. When the Lord comes back to the temple, he brings purification as well as judgment. The very fact that the religious and political leaders of Jesus' day didn't recognize him is a witness against them. As St. John wrote, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Imagine waiting for centuries for the coming of the Messiah, for the fulfillment of generations and generations of expectation, only to miss it due to pride and vanity. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So the priests and the Levites, the teachers and the scribes, they may have missed him. But Anna and Simeon did not. They saw the fulfillment of God's promise. They saw the Lord return to his temple. And then we today as baptized Christians have the benefit of that same return. We have seen the light of the world And can look at candle mass in that that light. We've been purified by the blood of the lamb. And we can look at the feast of the purification as those who have been purified. We have received the presence of Christ into his temple. And can look at his presentation in that light. As our collect today said. Almighty and ever living God. We humbly beseech thy majesty. That as thy only begotten son was this day presented in the temple and substance of our flesh. So may we now be presented unto thee with pure and clean hearts by the same, thy son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, because it is he who is that refiner's fire and fuller's soap. We say this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.